welcome to Cartridge Command, your weekly retro gaming podcast where we discuss and review the classic and not-so-classic games of the 8- and 16-bit era. I'm Nick. I'm Eric. And I'm Abby. And this week's episode is The Wizard, the Movie. The Wizard was released on December 15th, 1989, and it was distributed by Universal Studios. This movie was envisioned as a modern-day version of Tommy. And uh, the man who had that vision, Tom Pollock, he reached out to Nintendo for a licensing and hit them up at the perfect time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They were supposed to have been releasing Super Mario Brothers 3 and Zelda 2, but due to a chip shortage, yeah, both, of those games were, yeah, yeah. both those games were pushed back. And they used the opportunity of this film to you know, advertise more for these games that would be out soon. Yeah, the marketing blitz. So it was the... Who is it? The producer? He wasn't even a producer. Who is the guy that... A guy that he like worked at Universal. Out. Like, he was like, I have this idea, mm-hmm. and Nintendo would fit into it. Yeah, uh, he was not even a producer. I, I couldn't find his name in any of the major credits. Hmm. He's, not, he's not a writer? Specifically noted as being the one that made the deal with Nintendo happen. All right, all right. I don't know why. I thought it was the other way around that Nintendo would have approached a studio. Yeah, you'd think so, but... Well, Nintendo's just really weird. They don't usually, you know, they're not putting themselves out there for mm-hmm. things. They already they already do something. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this is uh this is before they made their Super Mario Brothers the movie mistake where that kind of shut down that line of, I don't know, movie making of Nintendo games kind of. Yeah, which is a little bit sad, but I think this one gave them some confidence because this movie cost 6 million dollars to make, but it reaped 14 million dollars. Oh, nice. Yeah. So it was considered a, a mild success. Not surprising. I mean, it was open around Christmas. Yes, it was. But it debuted at number five, not not even close to number one. It was a very, <laughs> yeah. very uh, busy holiday season. What beat it? The Wizard was at number five. Number four was The Little Mermaid. Oh, oh yeah. Which oh. had already been out for a while. Uh, above that was Back to the Future Part Two, which had come out the week or the week before. Above that was The War of the Roses. And then number one was Christmas Vacation. Wow. Oh, wow. It had no chance. No, no, not at all. And then, yeah, who, who planned this? The guy who uh, decided when to release UHF? Like, Yeah. <laughs> also on the charts at this time in theaters uh, is also Harlem Nights, Look Who's Talking, All Dogs Go to Heaven, and Parenthood. Oh, my God. And uh, Driving Miss Daisy and Glory just left the theater. So Wow. wow. It's kind of a rough time. And uh, I feel like The Wizard maybe would have done better in, like, you know, that that slow February time. Yeah. yeah. But it still didn't do bad, so. Do you guys like any of those movies better than you like The Wizard? Um, yeah. I mean, Little Mermaid. <laughs> yeah. I don't know about, I, I was going to say, Back to the Future Part 2 is my least favorite of the three Back to the Future, so it's still pretty good. I, I, it's a toss-up. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I can tell you this, that as a young nine-year-old, I also saw War of the Roses in the theater for some inexplicable reason. That, that is pretty odd. <laughs> I mean, whatever. <laughs> Did you like it? I don't I don't know what I thought of it. I remember it almost all. It's really weird. It's a weird... I was a weird little guy. At the time, I really liked Look Who's Talking. I thought that was hilarious. Look Who's Talking, yeah. That was, uh, that was a frequent watch. Same here. And then, of course, eventually, I don't know about you, but you are forced to watch Glory at some point in mm-hmm. history class. 
I've avoided glory my whole life. Oh, that's not bad. I remember thinking it was good, but I, ha- I haven't seen it since high school. It's Matthew Broderick. And Denzel. And a whole many other people. But the wizard managed to knock it off of the top 15 slot. Okay. Well, Nick, what kind of movie is The Wizard? Um, it's a relatively boring one. It's about a, a little boy who's got a lot of family problems, and he goes on a quest across the country to a video game tournament to win. He's so, the wizard. So, Abby, what genre or genres would you would you categorize this film in? Well, I'm sure the makers wanted it to be a fun family flick. Mm-hmm. Like a lighthearted comedy. I'm sure that's what they wanted it to be. <laughs> yes. And probably had their fingers crossed, but nobody really tried hard. Well, there are some funny parts, but I think I, we would all agree that this is mainly a drama. Yeah, yeah, very much so. I like think. a child <laughs> drama that has some Nintendo trappings loosely uh, decorating yeah, what, it has what, like, some very deep and heavy parts. Yeah, it's got a sprinkling of like video games and comedy on top of this, uh, whatever the real core is. Now, this movie does have uh, quite the cast. Crew-wise, meh, not, nothing to be too excited about. Uh, the director, Todd Holland, uh, he did a ton of TV shows. Yeah, all of them. He did like one episode yeah. of a bunch of shows that only had one season each. Like <laughs> They were all canceled immediately. But I think he did do a couple episodes on the Larry Sanders show. Oh, he did a bunch of those. Yeah, and a couple other things that you would think, wow, this guy... Apparently has some comedic chops or right. understands comedic timing really well. Yeah. Like he directed two episodes of 30 Rock. Yeah. And an episode of Kimmy Schmidt too. Wow. So he's still working hard to this day. Mm-hmm. Now, this movie has what's a very kind of more star-studded cast than you would imagine. I don't know how where these people were all at their careers to be affordable. <laughs> but I guess they were. Because uh, you have the star of the film is really Fred Savage. Yeah, top billing, man, on the top poster. Top billing. Yeah. On the poster, name is at the top. And he was really riding the high right now on the Wonder Years train. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, starring opposite him is his little brother, Luke Edwards. Yeah, Luke Edwards, he's actually in a lot of indie films to this day. Mm-hmm. I think, um, you know how indie films work. You're in like yes. two of them every year. I think that's what he's into. And apparently the Jeepers Creepers franchise. Oh, really? Yeah, uh, he's at least the second and third one. Very possibly the first. If you're a big fan of the Jeepers Creepers, let me know if he's in all three. Do they take place in California? I don't know, but my son is so mad that uh, now he thinks of that every time he hears the word California. It'll never, it'll never go away. That's what I told him. I was like, I'm sorry, I've ruined it for life. So, sorry, man. Uh, Also in this film is Jenny Lewis, who didn't have a huge acting career back in the 80s. She was in a few films. But it's more notable now for her music work. Yeah, she was in, uh, like, Rilo Kylie, isn't she? Yeah. A band I've heard of, but I never really... I'm not cool enough to know who they are. (laughs) I have heard of them. I only know her from an episode of uh, Comedy Bang Bang. Okay. When she replaced Reggie Watts as the band leader for the show for one episode. Well, I know Jenny Lewis because she was a a young crush for a a young uh, nine-year-old Nick, so I uh, I never forgot her. Yes, sir. Because of those bands. (laughs) Hey, man. And then on the adult side of the list, we have uh, Christian Slater, you know, the world's (laughs) finest walking Jack Nicholson impersonation. Is this before or after Cuffs? Like, it's around that time, right? I saw Cuffs in the theater, but I don't don't know where it came (laughs) in the pantheon of his films. 
any other notable roles for? Well, Bo Bridges is in it. Yes, we also have Bo Bridges here, and uh, he is the older brother of Jeff Bridges. And uh, Bo's never been anything that exciting. Yeah, but I do like Bo Bridges because I feel like he's just got one of those the most friendly faces like of an actor. Like I can never see him being like a bad guy, you know? Yeah, definitely. He um, does have a very warm and charming look to him. Very daddish. Yeah, I, yeah. Definitely fits that character and that role. And then, uh, you know, I don't remember the woman who plays his mom. She's, you know, your standard actress. Yep. But uh, you may notice the husband, the stepfather. Right, right, yeah. He's a, he's a familiar-looking character actor. I know I've seen him in a lot. So. His name is Sam McMurray. Mm. And he is in a lot of movies as kind of the... The uptight. Uptight, maybe mean, sometimes evil, rich guy. Right, right. Definitely has that face. You know, the mom, she was actually in Airplane 2 as a stewardess. Oh. <laughs> with Lloyd Bridges, father um, of Bo Bridges. Man, it all comes back around. Now, uh, before we move on, there was one other actor that made his first appearance in this film. And do either of you know who that is? I don't remember his name, but... His name is Tobey Maguire. Oh, yeah, yeah. What, what is he, like, a, one of the kids somewhere? Or? He's one of... Uh, uh, He's one of uh, Lucas's lackeys. Yeah. Oh, he, really? He just I... help, he helps him, he helps him make fun of uh, the wizard. Mm-hmm. Also, Matthew Modine is in it, too. Uh, who is he? He's one of the bullies. Oh yeah, yeah. No kid. He pushes. Wow. Uh, he pushes Corey to the ground. And the ones that take their money. Um, one of the groups of guys that takes their money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, these poor unfortunate children. <laughs> well, and you know, maybe we should talk about the the awesome actor who played Lucas. Mm. You might not see a lot of information about him online because he is a sex offender. Yeah. If it, you see his picture, it's it's a mugshot. <laughs> oh well, I'm not. Um, well, onto it. I don't know how to pivot <laughs> from that. Yeah, there were a lot of people in that movie. Yes, sir. I love the power glove. It's so bad. So, Abby, what was your personal history with the wizard? For young Abby, in 1989, as a seven-year-old, the wizard was practically required viewing for all children. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, the commercials were on and they gave you that little tiny glimpse of Mario 3 and everyone mm. I knew was just all about seeing this movie yeah um I saw this movie in the theaters uh I specifically remember seeing it in the uh theater on the Air Force base nearby nice um saw it with my friend we were both foaming at the mouth for Mario 3 so we would take any scraps we could find so you did get to hear the national anthem before the movie then I wouldn't have it any other way. I know. It's a nice tradition they have at the base theaters. And uh, I, too, saw this in the theater uh, opening weekend, and I was equally blown away. I I don't know how I glossed over the majority of this film and really focused on all the Nintendo (laughs) aspects, like uh, the real meat on the bone. Right. Well, I mean, as we mentioned earlier, as a young kid, I also watched War of the Roses starring Danny DeVito. And, uh, yeah, but I wasn't that weird. So, Well, I, I mean, I would just take any movie. So it, yeah. one that actually had some Nintendo or something in it, it's an extra bonus, I guess. Yeah. Lucas match. Well then, guys, what was your more recent experience with this movie? Well, we watched it a couple days ago mm-hmm. together. Yep. Okay. In, in one sitting. Okay, well, I watched it with my family, but we did uh, break it up. There was a, a mini family emergency, and, well, we ended it about 
with a half an hour left to go, which is really unfortunate for everyone because <laughs> that's really the, the most exciting part is the last half hour. Yeah, yeah. But we finished it, and uh, my children actually liked this movie. Really? Yeah, my 13-year-old thought it was really good. I mean, it's it's not like a bad movie. It's just kind of boring. You I know? think they like... liked it more than I did. And then uh, Mom, she didn't even finish it, but she was done with it <laughs> by the time you know we had to walk away. Now, there, there were a couple points where we were both like, this movie shouldn't be two hours long. And it's like, it's not. It just feels like it. Yeah. At some points in time, we wished we were not watching it. Well, here we are in the general chat portion of our show, and I'd just like to start by saying that this movie features a lot more uh, child uh, death talk and uh, rape fakeouts <laughs> than I would ever want to have in a children's movie released this day and age. And peril at the hands of adults. Yeah, well, you know, that was a big thing for the 80s movies, though. I mean... You know, I love Goonies, uh, E.T., all those kids on bikes, you know, being chased by the authorities kind of thing. So I didn't think that was too rough. Yeah, that yeah, it was very common. And, you know, you could see they were kind of going for a, like a Goonies-ish or, you know, one of those themes, you know? Yeah, and our, our, our main bad guy, the guy that's chasing the kids, uh, which, you know, we'll get into the full plot of this movie here in just a moment. But he doesn't carry a gun. He just has handcuffs. Right, right. So you're never in that, like, real scary, like, what's going to happen to these kids, even though there are some really uncomfortable times when he, like, quote, kidnaps Jimmy. But they have other encounters with um, well, a gang of men. Mm-hmm. A grown men. Grown men. Yeah, there's two grown men well, that, that them. manhandle them and rob them. And there's a, a gang of... Um, teenagers. Teenagers, yeah, that <laughs> similarly rob them. Yeah. R- ruffians. Well... The trip from Utah to California is a hard scrabble ride. I, you know, I was kind of uh, relieved to see that it was just Utah. Like I never knew what state it took place in as a kid, so mm-hmm. you know, I never paid attention. And then, you know, uh, it makes it a little more practical, kind of. Like in my mind, I imagine something more like Midwest. You know? Yeah, they're not traveling an insane distance. Now we haven't even really talked about what this movie is about, and at its heart, it is a family drama where. Uh, family is estranged after the death of one of their children. Yeah, yeah. A twin. And would you would you know that by looking at the poster for this movie? <laughs> you mean where all those video game things are flying out of the kids on the front and one yeah. of them is triumphantly holding the wizard sign? Yeah. No, no, not at all. Now, that is the background story. And then what the main plot is is that uh, the brothers, Jimmy and his older brother, whose name I don't even remember. Which one? Wait. Fred Savage. Fred Savage is Corey. Corey, that's right. Which is, and I do because it's confusing. Yeah. Because his little brother <laughs> would become Corey on, on Boy Meets World. Boy Meets World. So Corey and Jimmy are running away from home. Uh, his little brother Jimmy wants to get to California for unknown reasons. Well, his half brother. Half brother. Well, you know, it's not. You got to make it so complicated. Why do they have this like complicated family tree? Like, I feel like I'm watching Dune or something. Yeah, and they want to get to California. On the way there, they discover a video game tournament that's happening and also simultaneously discover that Jimmy is really good at video games. Yeah, he gets 50,000 points. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He, they then meet up with a girl who's a kind of a transient. Yeah, young Haley. We don't really... Her story is never resolved, by the way. No, no. No, it's we, not. We don't know why she's just out traveling without any adults or... Well, it's her dad's in her home. Her dad's a trucker. Well, that's what she said, but 
that's also she said of many other things that turn out to be lies during that yeah, time frame. So reliable narrator. She joins the boys. They move on, and the whole time there's a bounty hunter searching for them. Uh, his true father is searching for him with uh, his half other half brother, and then eventually, I think even the mom and stepdad join the chase. They're all looking for Jimmy. Don't blame them though. And uh, you know, wackiness ensues. Many close encounters, and then the movie culminates in uh, the giant video game tournament. Video Armageddon. We'll get into the ending here in just a minute because I think we're going to get right into our next segment. Super Mario Brothers 3! Well, here we are in the plot point by plot point section of our show. And uh, we're going to leave it to Abby to kind of walk us through here as we, you know, talked about what really stood out to us as the movie went on. Well, I'm actually going to plot out the first 16 minutes of the movie first. Okay. Okay. So, <laughs> open on, dusty road. Heat it's lines. a very long, long opening shot. Very long opening shot. In fact, um, we're just watching Jimmy walk towards camera. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a song playing that is very fitting. It's about brothers. Mm. And we get to hear the entirety of this <laughs> three-minute song just watching a little boy walk along a, a desolate road now, in the desert. To be fair, there are credits happening over this. So at least we're getting the cast and some of the crew. They're, they're killing two birds with one stone. It's it's pretty crazy. Like, you know, he's walking and then, uh, you know, a plane finds him. Now, then... you mean the lowest flying plane oh, yeah. legally allowed? And and it's, it's like, why why did you put this plane in here? I'm sure they you know, would really use that to search for a kid, right? Yeah. But who cares? It's the wizard. Why doesn't just him have a cop pull up to him? Why does he have to? I don't know. It's a waste already. They're starting off rough. They are. All right. So that cop pulls up. And I'm really derailing this again right off the bat, but I love the cop's car. It's like the cop cars and Goonies. <laughs> Those old 4 by 4 vehicles. Anyways. Okay, so our uh, our friendly local cop, no name, mm-hmm. he pulls up, grabs Jimmy. First thing he does is get on his radio and say, I found the kid. And then the dispatcher on the other end explains who Jimmy is. Mm-hmm. You know, his mom, she's divorced. Yeah, that's, this uh, is where she lives. Blah 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 blah. So just a, a, a string of expository statements. That is the exposition dispatch station. Yeah. Cut two. We're at a doctor's office. Mm. The doctor is talking to the mom and stepdad as Jimmy sits in a room with a window, observation window, and stacks some blocks. Oh yeah. And the discussion with the adults is about whether or not he needs to go into a home. Yeah, not a bad home. Don't worry. They don't really get into it like, they're like, is he autistic? They don't ever really say if that he's on that spectrum or anything. Well, I don't think that language really existed at the time of this film. And I will say that I was really pretty surprised at how they treated Jimmy and, you know, whatever his situation is. I think in modern terms, we'd say he's on the autistic spectrum somewhere. Right. But right. in this movie, they're not really sure what they, what he, what, you know, he has, but they don't belittle him or make fun of it in any way. Right, right. It's never used for a comedy or for, you know, uh, I, I just was really surprised at how forward it felt the way they treated him and his, uh, his, his mental facilities. I don't know. There's uh, several points in time where other characters point out. No, the other characters are mean to him, but his immediate family is very supportive. And him as a character, he is never deficient because of any of those uh, things. And as far as the autism thing goes, 
I mean, I don't think autism is triggered by traumatic events. Now, that is the one key sticking point, <laughs> is that they do point out that he wasn't like this until his sister died. Yeah, what... I don't know. I feel like it was like this mystery that later they're like, oh, this is why. And you're, you know, like the whole first half of the movie, I'm, I, I don't know. I can't believe that they didn't bring it up ever, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, they, they wait till later and then they can even add another layer of sadness to that story. <laughs> uh, when we learn the, the whole story surrounding the death of the sister. Okay, next. Cut two. We're in the home of the half-brothers and the father of Jimmy. Yes. Mr. Bridges. Uh, Bo, Christian, and Fred. Mm -hmm. And Bo is trying to make dinner. They're kind of dysfunctional, sitting around the table. But you can tell they love each other, and they're having a good time. Well, their good time does end in um, Fred having to storm out because the fighting gets so intense between uh, Christian and Bo. Yeah, now he does that, but the fighting doesn't really seem that intense. I mean, Fred, man, I, I even made a note where I'm like, Fred really lays it on early on where he's like, come on, he, just because he's a half-brother, they're going to put him in the institution? Like, right. and, and Bo Bridges just isn't really acknowledging it, and so he gets mad. It's 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 pretty rough. Okay, well, next we uh, follow Fred. He's outside, uh, walking around, contemplating things, and meanwhile, he can hear uh, Christian and Bo fighting inside very raised voices about Christian's drinking. Mm-hmm. Staying out late. Staying out late. Stealing the truck. Oh, taking the truck without asking and not even putting gas in it when he brought it back. And next thing we know, Fred is packing up to run away. And He's got a backpack. Yeah. Skateboard. And he is not just running away. He goes to the home where they have now put Jimmy. Yeah, he's, he's going to rescue him and just run away, generic. He doesn't really have a plan, right? It's no, just they like, don't get have him a plan. Out, right? But it's Jimmy who says, you know, California. Yeah, yeah. So why not? Why not go to California? And they do. What is their first means of escape? It's in like a... It's in a hostess truck. Yeah, it was in a snack truck. Yeah, which is awesome because it shows them, you know, he goes to the home and the hostess cake, or I'm sorry, the hostess truck is delivering to the, the home. And then, you know, they sneak out in that uh, truck as the guy leaves. But when when it, then it's like a hard cut to the truck driving on the highway. Mm -hmm. And I always think, I'm like, they stole it. Like, they can't drive yet. And then right. I was like, oh, they're just hiding. But it, it's funny, I think. Now, uh, they take that to, like, the middle of nowhere. But at this point, people know they're gone. Right. And that's when we cut to they're in the police station. Bo and Christian are there, mm -hmm. as well as the stepdad and Jimmy's mom. And how do they solve this problem? Is it they just go to the police and the police are the ones to save the day? No. <laughs> no. They hire a specialist child retriever. Mm. And he is evil, you know, because he wears all black and he has a bolo tie. Yeah, and uh, he's bald and with glasses, which are all grisly evil uh, appearances. Now, I just want to go on the record as a sometimes bolo tie wearer that we are not all evil. And uh, you can tell he's more evil, though, because his, there's no turquoise in there. There's no good color. It's not that very silver. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with that. I, You know, I, I will be honest, though. I think this guy might be my favorite character in the movie. He's so, like, cartoonishly evil and, you know, like yeah. his reactions and stuff are, are just ridiculous. And I really I really came to him for some entertainment during the, the slow-mo parts of this, this film. Hmm. Well, as soon as they leave the police station, first thing he does is go up to Bo and Christian and threaten them. <laughs> Tell them to stay off the stay case. Stay off so he can collect his bounty. Right. 
Yeah, if he was just nicer, they might have even worked with him. But it's like from the get-go, he's a total jerk. Yeah, which, of course, they're going to have problems. And then everyone is out on the road trying to find these boys. Well, finally, we get some comedy in here. Uh, So there's some fun, happy music going on. The kids get out of the hostess truck and they have chocolate and stuff all over their faces because they've been snacking on those hostess cupcakes and stuff. Uh, And then after that, they hitchhike. Mm Mm-hmm. Then they hitchhike um, on the back of a moped, Dumb and Dumber <laughs> style. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then uh, you see them camping, and they're, like, up in a cave. They have a fire. Yeah. Fred Savage knows what's, how to do it. And then finally, we see a video game. Mm-hmm. And I'd just like to recap. This is the first 16 minutes of this movie. And if we were to count every dramatic thing that happened, uh-huh. it means that something sad bad people are mad <laughs> yeah at least once every two minutes <laughs> I, I would I, totally i can see that and you know like you said we have this is our first time we've seen any video game at all and what game is this oh it's it's double dragon not only is it double dragon but uh jimmy is gonna step up to the game and get what is surely an impossible <laughs> score Fifty thousand points yeah and in what like three minutes and by the way this is a i mean a they, they get it through with the Play Choice 10, but yeah. almost all the games he plays in the arcade are, in fact, NES games. Yeah, but those are all games that were on the Play Choice 10. That's true. That's true. So that, that's, it rings true in that aspect. Uh, what's really un- hilarious is the girl then plays it after him, and she gets like 29 points at the exact same place he was at. Yeah, which... When they said he had 50,000. I mean, what? They're on the, like the first level. Right. Like most of the games, but we'll, we'll get to those. Well, we should say this is where we meet the girl, Haley. Yes, Haley. Not just call her the girl, uh, <laughs> even though that is her role in this movie. She is pretty much just the girl. But he does yell Haley a few times, so I should remember it. And hey, she's a spunky, streetwise lady who's going to help him to the tournament, okay? And like so many uh, people I know's little sisters, uh, she was probably named after Haley's Comet the mm. year it passed overhead. Now, Haley is on the road and... We really don't find out why till later, but um, we do get to see a Ninja Gaiden table game. Oh, yeah. He plays that. and uh, Which I was like, that's pretty cool looking. Well, it's funny because there's a point where she's, uh, Haley mentions, she's like, he's been through the game like four times and he hasn't taken a hit, which A, is a bunch of baloney. Yes. And he has taken a hit when the screen they show him clearly missing two bars of life. So Ouch. she's a liar. And it's, it's the first level. Again, it scores very low. Like what? It's, yeah. Well, this is the point in time, too, where Jimmy gets his name. The Haley. wizard. Haley gives it to him. She calls him a wizard. Yes. And because she's goes to f- she goes to compete with him and realizes he's really good, they swindle her out of her... Bus ticket. Bus ticket. That's what it was. So after this, they decide to team up. Is this where they learn a video Armageddon? Yeah. She, she shows them an ad, I okay. think. Yeah. And yeah. Now, well, now there's, have... a, there's a stack of magazines in that bus station, and I think they're... They're video Armageddon magazines. Yeah, exactly. Pretty much. And uh, <laughs> that's they now have the goal. They know where they're going. And at this point, too, Haley is saying about how Jimmy will, like, blow all the video heads away in mm-hmm. the arcades. Now, is that a word? No. I never not, heard not that, that before, I no. <laughs> I didn't this, think so. This movie has a couple weird phrases that throw out there. One of my favorites we'll get to at the, the video Armageddon tournament. Right, and as they're coming up with their scheme to get to the contest, they are in a diner. Yes. Where new kids on the block is pumping. 
It's one yep. of the few uh, licensed, more popular songs that are in the movie. Yeah, I didn't remember it, but I um, until we watched it again, and then when I heard it, I was like, "Oh man, I, I don't remember this being in the movie." But it's uh, I, actually kind of appropriate, I guess, for the time. So yeah, there were yeah. two new kids on the block songs in the film. Oh yeah, there's two of those. <laughs> this one's the right stuff. Yes. So the gang is now formed. They're on their way to California. They instantly get robbed by some greedy old men that are giving them a ride in their big farm truck. Yeah, Haley's like. They're truckers. Uh, they have a code. She knows them because of her father and friends and family. So um, she gets them in there and then is foolishly flashing a lot of cash and they steal it. Yeah, that's uh, right away. It's, it's very. Uh, well, this will become a common thread as they almost everyone they encounter um, will steal their money. They are fools. Fools. Now, the worst part is it's not only they, do they get the money stolen from them, but then they, they're just left in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, which is where this movie mostly takes place, in the middle of nowhere. And the way it's filmed, it's really wide shots, big open space. In some ways, it seems a little boring, but it also does give you a a very uh, strong feeling of the vastness of of where they're at and how far away they are from everything else. I think the movie makers just didn't want to spend any money on sets or anything like that. That's part of it, probably. Yeah, and uh, they probably just had to blow that wad later in the movie uh then we have a montage of them traveling and we get to see two old men playing an arcade game no wait before we see that we see Bo and christian run into the bounty hunter oh yeah which they smash into his car with their pickup truck two times well that's because he does something to them what he he He, starts it he's he pops their tires he slashes their tires they crash into him yes yeah it is and uh uh, I think it's Bo takes a shovel to his windows, yeah, yeah. His, his rear view windows, and then he does a really awkward javelin with it. Right, right. It doesn't doesn't make it anywhere near. And nobody in this town calls the cops or anything. No, and the they police just never intervene in this movie really anywhere, except for at the casino. But then uh, we see the old men playing a video game, and they get swindled, so they, the kids can increase their cash flow. Uh, yeah, so after they fleece those old men, uh, you know, they're traveling across the country, and I have to say, go bikers. This movie is busting stereotypes all over the place because the bikers are one of the few adults these kids can trust, and they are safe travel. There seems to be no problem with any travel from those grizzly bikers. Well, they're angels, oh. as indicated by the <laughs> song playing during this montage, Send Me an Angel. Yes, another pop song on the soundtrack that I wasn't expecting. I, I very much have always associated that song with this movie, so I knew it was in there. All right. And that really brings us to the next town on their way, and this is the town where our, uh, I wouldn't say other villain, but our other antagonist lives. Oh, yeah, Lucas Barton? Lucas Barton. Well, I mean, and before they get there, I, I just want to talk about a recurring theme in this movie, which is people hanging out in arcades, adults, children alike, gambling. Yes. Like... I, this mystical world where a, a good video game player could earn his way across the country like on, the, on your skills alone. I, I wish I lived there, man. Yeah. Now, one thing to note about Lucas is that he is always wearing 
the dopest Vision Streetwear. What what's his weird robe he wears? Do you know what I'm talking about? That I long that. black thing. Yeah, me too. I, I've never seen something like this. Not like a trench coat. Like I thought it was at first. Yeah, it, it's it's awesome. It's like a child's duster. Yeah. <laughs> well, Lucas is uh you know just a bad ace. He is the toughest. He is the best video game player, and he has awesome style. He's mastered 97 games. He can beat them all. Yeah, I wrote down 97 as well. And he's wearing like a coat that's not in winter. Now, this whole scene is the introduction of one of the most infamous peripherals in history. Oh, yeah. And that would be the power glove. Yeah. Um, that's your cue to go, it's so bad. It's so bad. It is bad. Um, it's a bad controller that I own. Did you, do you have one? I do not. I never had one. But because of this movie, just like every other kid, I wanted one. How about you, Abby? Uh, we never had one, but... but... You wanted one, didn't you? Oh, yeah, yeah. Mind blown. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, specifically, I got it, I think, that Christmas, and I asked for it in the large size so I could grow into it. Now, do you still have yours? No, no. It got, I think it got garage sailed away sometime. Uh, friend of the podcast, Bill, he has a functioning power glove. Well... And I, mean, I have a 40-some-inch tube TV, so there's a chance that... Does he have the sensors and everything? He has the sensors and he has super glove ball. Okay, wow. Well, so uh, you hear it here first, Commandos. That may be a future episode of this show. I will say that uh, the Power Glove, while a horrible controller, was pretty cool looking and got used a lot as just a robot arm by a young Nick and friends. Yeah, well, Lucas keeps his in a really awesome case. Yeah. Pulls it out and uses it to show off his skills at, like, uh, was it Road Rash? Uh, Rad Racer. Rad Racer, I'm sorry. And you know, he's got this super fine motor control that does not exist when you're really playing the game. Well, and not only that, but you get to see him playing the first level. Yeah. And that's it. Come on, man. Which is exactly what's been happening in this movie up to a point. It's just a road in the desert. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah that's true. It's appropriate. Now, the encounter with Lucas is a little tough because it shows that Jimmy has nerves and sometimes he's not always the best. Yeah. Well, and it's weird, too, because afterwards... Corey's like kind of busting his chops where he's like, it's okay. You just lost. And it's like, he didn't lose. He didn't even play. Right. He just was like, I don't want to do this. And then we get into the issues of why Jimmy has his, you know, problem or whatever. And the, the story of the dead sister. And yeah. Which is really heavy out of nowhere. Well, <laughs> actually, well, so right before that, that's when we see Bo and Christian, they're staying in a motel. Yes. Um, Christian hooks up. What game is it? Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Yes. Yes, yes. Well, that, and that, that whole scene is split. So they start playing. We get the really deep scene about the dead sister. Cut back to the hotel where turns out Bo's been staying up all night playing. Yeah. Christian wakes up to find him thrashing around, smashing buttons, every single button, all simultaneously. <laughs> and I think uh, he turns it off and he's upset. And Bo's like, no, I had the scroll weapon. Yeah, he was trying to fight the Mecha Turtle. That was actually appropriate. I'm like, level three. He's like, I got to level three. I yeah. just got the scroll weapon. I was fighting the Mecha Turtle. That's all appropriate. So I thought that was pretty cool, too. I was like, wow, that's that one's spot on. The downside is that if you look at the screen, he's playing the first room in the or the first sewer in the first level and has a mere 300 points. Mm. Mm. And then right away, um, we are back to the kids getting beat up again. Oh, yeah, they get chased around. They're out staying in an old uh, drive-in theater. and uh, That's some... when the teenagers come around and, and steal the last of their money. Yeah. Or almost last. But then, and that's where they're all about to give up. And then Jimmy pulls them back and says, I don't want to give up. And then they both, they get together and. Decide uh, to go gambling. Yeah, well, they got to get some money to 
their master plan is to call a, the Nintendo uh, hotline to get all the tips to all the games. Yeah. So we now have this uh, situation where the kids are staying at a resort in Reno. Yeah, yeah. They are gambling through a friend of the family, Spanky. Spanky, who is the unsung hero of this movie. <laughs> I love Spanky. He is the one adult that these children can trust and are safe with. Like, hands down, besides those bikers. <laughs> and and he does right by these kids, too. Yeah, yeah. Not only are they safe and... I mean, granted, he is gambling for them, which is illegal. But he's doing it for good reasons. I mean, that's all they want to do is win money. Yeah, and then, really, this whole segment is, for me, the Game Counselor segment. Yeah, yeah. Because they show what... I don't know if it's real, but what to me was real, the life of the game counselor yeah, yeah. and all those binders full of secrets. Binders. They all have a, a, a television that is just playing games by themselves while they watch. Yeah. Apparently. And Haley is going to go through all 90-some games that could be in this tournament and learn all their tricks and tips and pass them on to Jimmy somehow. Which I feel like would cost about the $50,000 itself uh, to go through all those because games. Because to call a game counselor was over a couple of dollars a minute. Yeah, yeah. I was never allowed to do it. Same here. Um, and I, one funny note, uh, if you watch the person they're talking to when they start talking to him on this television screen, it's playing Ninja Turtles. And then it cuts to them, and then when it cuts back, there's Ninja Gaiden. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Continuity error. Mm-hmm. Pedantry. And then I really wanted to point out just one character that is uh, in the kids' arcade, and that would be the child cigarette girl. I was just going to say, <laughs> the child cigarette girl selling candy. Not cigarettes, but she. But for all intents and purposes, she should be selling cigarettes. Yeah, that's what she looks like. And, and she's, like, wearing an oddly uh, made-up outfit for, like, a 9- or 10-year-old child. Yeah, it's a very high-cut bodysuit. <laughs> and also, Corey really harasses her a little bit, too. Yeah, well, he, he's got some money in his pocket. He thinks he's a big man now, and, and he wants got, that candy, and he's got to tip her. And he's got shades. Oh, he, that's how you know he's a, he's a hot shot. That's how you know he can get away with it. His future is so bright, he's got to wear them. Now, this is when the kids are caught up with the bounty hunter. He finds them, and he actually gets Jimmy in his paws. He's going to take him away. Yeah, he's close, man. Uh, what are they going to do? Well, what are they going to do, Abby? What's Haley going to do? In order to save Jimmy, Haley, at the top of her little girl lungs, yells, He touched my breast! Which... Wow, I guess it wasn't as bad in the 80s? I, don't, I mean, it's pretty bad. I mean, to the credit of the casino, there were apparently two armed guards standing right off off camera. And they grab immediately him. grab him and drag him off without asking questions. But he, he shows up really soon later, so I don't feel like many charges were pressed. He probably got beat up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it is a little odd, and it's slightly uncomfortable. But uh, once they're made, they have to leave the casino, and they go back to Haley's house. Yeah, which is a trailer out in the middle of nowhere. Mm. Yeah, it's bummer time again. Yeah, now it gets gets back into the heavy mode where we learn about her family's gambling problems. We talk a little more about the dead sister and find out that Christian Slater was there watching them and supposed to be paying attention, and he wasn't. That's why she's dead. And Jimmy watched her die in a few feet of water. Yeah. Her body was supposed to be carried downstream, but for some reason it stayed right there a few feet away from him. 
They're, they're really twisting the knife here. <laughs> like, come on, lay off it, man. Yeah, I don't know if I'm just getting old, but that was all like a way, way, felt way heavier to me now than it did as a child. And uh, so we learn all this because Corey's on the roof of the trailer with Haley. Mm -hmm. And this is where he finally puts the moves on her. He goes to kiss her. Yes. She punches him. The sound effect of punches from the 80s. Oh, yeah. You <laughs> like know. The, the wet meat, like. Whoosh. Yeah, exactly. Um, so she, you know, does that for yes. rejection, I guess. But then she just grabs him and kisses him anyway. That's the kind of girl I like. <laughs> you want a nice punch in the gut? And a smooch on the lips. <laughs> but the little love story is broken up because right away we find out Jimmy has been kidnapped again. Yeah, this the, poor boy is going to be so traumatized. The the evil uh, bounty hunter Putnam has tracked him, tracked down her uh, her family's house and then mm -hmm. came and took Jimmy somehow while they were asleep that night. And calls him a space case. <laughs> and then throws a handful of those old lollipops that have yeah. the ring like the uh, dentist lollipops. Yeah, where you can slide it onto your finger. Not a ring pop, but like a soft ring instead of the stick. Yeah. I don't know why, but I, I hadn't thought about those lollipops in about 15 years. <laughs> I haven't until seen I them in 15 I years. Know. But to that one point, Jimmy is going to be totally traumatized by the many times this man has literally picked him up and like carried him away. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. But we have a little quip from Haley who likes to throw some stuff back into Corey's face whenever she can. She tells him, Oh, you don't think I have friends? I have friends. And then her friends come to the rescue. That's right. Spanky and some buddies pull up. They they corner Putnam uh, with Jimmy in his car on, on the highway where you have two large semi-trucks coming one direction and two of them following him, so they block him off. Yeah, and one of those semi-trucks is from Hawks Towing. I, I saw that too, yeah. Or Hawks Hauling or Hawks whatever. Hauling, yeah. yeah. From uh, Over the Top. Yeah, uh, Sylvester Stallone's film. So that's kind of fun. I wish he would have got out of it. Like he was a cameo trucker. Mm -hmm. and, and then he turned his hat all the way around. Oh, Ooh. it's like uh, a switch. And then once again, Spanky saves the day. Yeah. Punches the bounty hunter with the same sweet, meaty punch <laughs> sound effect. Yeah. And I don't know what all they do to that guy, but he's looking pretty rough the next time we see he him. He is completely beat to heck throughout this whole movie. The kids have now made it to the tournament. Mm. But now that we are at the tournament... We find out that the qualifiers are for Ninja Gaiden. Ha! He knows Ninja Gaiden. Yeah. Which uh -oh. is the horrible way they say it. Well, it's also, hey, it's better than Ninja Gaiden, which is what I was saying at the time, I guess. Well, but. it's better than Ninja the Gaiden, which is what I thought it was for way longer than I'd ever want to admit. But this, this is a weird uh, tournament, kind of, because it's like timed. And whoever's still alive with the most points wins at the end of the timer? Is that how it works? They, they, they don't get into it. They don't at all. But uh, I do know that I love the video Armageddon tournament. I love every bit of decoration. I love the fake metal panels. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I love that big physical clock that counts down with the big clicks. Yeah, yeah. And I even love all those crazy tubes, the neon inflatable tubes around everything. Yeah, they're like the... The precursor to the weird floaty dancey men, whatever. Wacky, wavy, inflatable Wacky arm man. <laughs> uh, yeah, I love everybody in the crowd at Armageddon because it's total late 80s flashbacks. They are so pumped. Like all, well, yeah, their bangs are pumped. <laughs> all of these girls with, uh, with blonde hair, half up ponytails, crimped, bangs. And then did either of you notice uh, the host of Video Armageddon, his tie? I did not. He has a weird tie that is like, it looks like it's 3D printed. It is just a weird uh, series of outlines. It's not a solid tie. Huh. 
I'll check it out. You should. It was very distracting once I saw it. That was all I, I do look at. I do love the host too. Uh, his loud, like, like classic. I don't know. He's great. He is way over the top, uh, borderline creepy sometimes, though. Yeah, like he sounds like he's uh, like a post-apocalyptic, <laughs> some kind of uh, gladiator fight announcer. I don't know. It's a it, yeah, this intensity yeah. does not match the room full of children w- playing video games. I would agree. This is like the rollerball announcer, not the <laughs> yeah. video Armageddon. Yeah. And then we learned that uh, the top score right now belongs to Lucas. Yeah, Lucas is here. Uh, and then Jimmy has to compete with a bunch of hilarious-looking other kids, half of which are wearing a very poorly made video Armageddon neon shirt. Yeah, I want one of those, though. Agreed. But yeah, so the finalists, the three finalists of the opening round are... Uh, Vision Streetwear. Yeah. <laughs> a girl with pigtails. A girl with pigtails, braces, and glasses. Yeah, like... Her name is nerd- Mora, which is kind of weird. I always thought it was Nora, but checking the thing, it's M-O-R-A, Mora. I've never never heard that and name anywhere um, else. Psychovision Streetwear <laughs> is the third contestant. Or uh, Lucas and Corey, but at this point, the, the logos of their clothing are always right in the center of the, the screen. I mean, that's how I wear my Vision Streetwear. I don't know. I always wanted Vision Streetwear, but... Could only get it if it was at TJ Maxx. I know. <laughs> so this is where the bounty hunter ends up, though, in between that that qualifier mm-hmm. and the final. He's now there. Yeah. Bounty hunter shows up, but also Bo and Christian show up and mom and stepdad show up. And this all happens during a crazy chase through the park where they're climbing through and on one of the tour tram vehicles. Yeah. yeah. One of the, the indoors with all of the... Um, you know, machines, animatronics, fire, explosions, and these kids are just going all around it while this bounty hunter chases yeah, they, them. They see the giant King Kong robot head. Yeah. Now, I'm sorry. Before this all happens, though, they find out that they're going to be playing a game that is totally new. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they announced that. Yeah. And I just have to point that out because I wanted to note that the host specifically states, um, I'm really going to brain you out. <laughs> This is another one of these uh, non-real phrases that they use a lot. He's going to brain out all the video heads? Yes. (laughs) And uh, so that freaks them out. And then they go on this huge chase through the park. And uh, they do escape from Evil Man. I think he even gets punched by Christian Slater at some point in all this. I Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, But towards the end of it, they get cornered. And Evil Man just shows up out of nowhere. I don't yeah. really understand the mechanics of where they were and how it all happened. Uh, he was following them somehow, like backstage, I don't know. And, you know, the whole time they're like, we only have 15 minutes to get back. Yes. Because that's when the tournament starts and we don't want to lose our spot. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's basically um, like backstage at lots of stages that mm-hmm. you've seen in movies. And uh, Lucas looks up through a grate. He can see that they are in that 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 backstage area. Yeah, like they're in like the scaffolding where mm-hmm. in other movies there's like the ropes attached to sandbags. Correct, yes. Yeah, yeah. So they basically pull a trick like that uh, where Jimmy is going to get lowered down. Mm-hmm. Lucas sees them, though. We need to appeal to your better nature and, and sportsmanship. Is, has none of that. No. Uh, they jump into a little cage and escape the bounty hunter by just going down, I guess. It's an elevator. And it elevates Jimmy down to the playfield of Video Armageddon. And when they announce it and those doors separate, it is awesome. 
Yeah, the, the big Mario, Super Mario Brothers oh, no. 3. Even before that, when it's just like a giant bay door, it's like, oh. it separates and smoke comes out and Jimmy's there yeah, on his yeah. little pedestal. It's a cool reveal and, and it's kind of slow. Like, it's, it's pretty sweet. Like, yeah, it takes I his time. Love those doors openings. Uh, and then right away, he announces it will be Super Mario Brothers 3. He announces Super Mario Brothers 3. <laughs> yes. It clicks with that coin noise. And man, as a kid, your brain is just lit on fire. Like, I've been waiting an hour and a half for this. Let's do it. And it almost totally distracts you from the fact that they're using very bizarre giant controllers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's got a giant oversized joystick knob and two buttons. It's but, the, the world's biggest NES advantage. Kind of, yeah. And then one other thing, when they were announcing all the characters... They announce Lucas, and there's a hilarious like girl in the crowd that's like, I love you, Lucas. <laughs> I, I missed that. I, I did not. It is great. Then the host says like a really creepy thing about how pretty and lovely the girl is holding her pigtails. Didn't like that. Little creepy. He was a little creepy there. And then whoever has the most points in 10 minutes will be the winner. And then they start their way through the first, like, yeah, I think they make like three levels in or something, Mario. Mm-hmm. And as he's playing... All of the other characters of the film show up in the front corner of the audience and talk to each other and literally resolve every problem and show each character's growth in one or two lines throughout the playing of this game. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. It is a weird and very uh, lazy way to wrap up all the storylines. Like, oh, (laughs) the dad's like, get a mushroom, get a mushroom. And he goes, who who is this guy? He's like, he's a changed man. Yeah. that storyline's over. The family problems on the boys' side is fixed. Well, it just took some video games. And then uh, they're like, oh, my God, Jimmy, Jimmy's a champion? Uh, well, maybe he doesn't have to be in a home. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. If you're good at video games, you can just go wherever you want. They're, they're proud of him now, and that changes their entire view of him as a person. And then I want to mention the fact that while they're playing, there's this bizarre night graphic. Yeah, so um, so the three players they're they're being tracked visually on a big screen, mm-hmm. and each of them has a little knight avatar with yes. a lance, and they're like advancing forwards. And it You're shows just... their points too, I think. Yeah, it shows their points, and and you know shows them like neck and neck. But it's really complete nonsense. Yeah, and what are the knights? What is that about? I don't know. It's never explained. The points are just like constantly increasing and at a, at a rate that is not consistent with Super Mario Brothers 3 scoring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because Jimmy dies twice and you think he's almost out. But no, he finds the secret passage. Yeah, in the in the first uh, Boom Boom Fortress. And he gets the warp whistle. And then for some reason he gets points for warping. Yeah, his, uh, his little knight turns orange and then starts to really charge forward to catch up. He's yelled out he should get the star. I don't know if he does because we don't see him do it. No, yeah. He was instructed specifically to open the warp. <laughs> yes. With the warp, yeah. With the warp, warp whistle. whistle. He goes into a future level where I guess he's getting more points because <laughs> he does win the tournament and all of the characters smile. Yeah. Then you might be, uh, think the movie's over and happy, but no, but we're going to twist that knife one more time as they now go through some super sad scenes. Now time for a really sad, sad drive home where four of them are crammed into that little truck. The Corey, Haley. Yeah, so she just lives with them now? We don't know, because <laughs> that's never never brought up again. It's a really sad fake pan flute song playing over their, their long yeah. drive home. There's some weird pan flute stuff going on at the beginning of the movie, too. I made a note. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and then Jimmy bolts when he sees the giant dinosaurs. 
because he is the biggest fan of Pee-wee's Big Adventure. <laughs> or at least that's what I thought when I first saw this movie. I right, man. Yeah. So apparently, you know, he's got his little lunchbox full of memories. And this was one of the last times with his sister where the family was happy. And this was how he was just moving on, I guess, now. Yeah, the big reveal is he shows a picture that was taken there of all of them together looking really happy. And that was their, their last full family memory. Yeah. And the uh, the twins, so Jimmy and his twin sister, they're actually wearing matching outfits in that Oh, I believe it. Uh, My cousin, who was not my twin, and I were forced into matching outfits many times growing (laughs) up at trips to Kings Island or any other place we had to go. And the parents wanted us to look cute as a button. (laughs) But, uh, you know, up inside this dinosaur, uh, Corey figures out what the problem was. He tells him it's going to be okay, that they are a family. And that's, I guess, enough. Uh, He just wanted to take the totem that was the memories of his sister and leave it someplace that she was happy. So Jimmy leaves his little uh, box that we haven't talked about at all this entire podcast, (laughs) but he always carries a lunchbox with pictures of his sister in it. And he leaves it there. And I'm not going to lie. I actually cried here Oh, because my daughter goes, why, why does he, why is he leaving it there? And I, there was nothing I could say to her (laughs) that didn't make me cry. So it got me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I mean, they're tugging on every heartstring the whole movie. So. Yes, it's nothing but fun time Nintendo and then child death. <laughs> and then then the mom decides that they all should be a family and the kids can all ride together back. But they don't all have to ride in the front of that pickup truck. Yeah. No, the three of them can ride very illegally in a separate seat, not bolted down in the back of the pickup truck. Yeah, well, the parents realize like these kids are expert hitchhikers and riding the right in the back of uh, trucks. Yeah, and then uh, they just drive off into the night. I guess Haley's joined the family and all mental problems are solved. Yay! Yay. Get the star, Jimmy, get the star! Yeah, well, uh, just keep your power gloves off her, pal, huh? Well, here we are in the review portion of our show. And, of course, we use this classic uh, system I made up for the Street Fighter podcast and then slightly altered for this one and didn't tell either of my co-hosts about so they don't have <laughs> anything planned for. Each category has a possible score from 0 to 5, starting with cinematography and sound. Well, guys, I gave this game a 3.5. What did you give it, Abby? You gave this game a 3.5? Oh, I'm sorry. I gave this movie a 3.5. What did you give it right now? A 2. A 2? And you, Nick? Um, I guess I would say 2.5. I didn't really notice the well, cinematography that much. It, it did have some very nice sweeping landscape shots, and they were very well put together. Um, I don't think that this movie was deficient in any way. I was never like distracted yeah. by any filmmaking choices. It's not a poorly made film. It's no. just kind of boring and the sound design is good there's some good songs um you know you always can understand what people are saying to each other so i just gave it kind of a middle of the road thing and i even though they were slow i did like some of the large expansive shots well i just i didn't like the contrast of just roads always centered in Mm -hmm. the middle of the shot and it it was just so boring and desolate (laughs) and just there were no sets whatsoever. It was just these kids on the road, and then they get to uh, Universal Studios. Well, and whoa, it's... whoa! There is that one set that is like a small store slash arcade that has, uh, well, I think it's actually the seats that are later in the back of the pickup truck out in front of that store. Really? I've just whoa. put it together. Yeah. Maybe, man. 
Because that's where Lucas and his friends are sitting when we first meet them. Well, that's a weird place, too. What is that? Like, there's airplanes in the background, if you look. Like, they're at, like, some flight center or something. It doesn't look like an airport, but... All right. I'll, maybe I'll drop down to a 3.0. <laughs> Next up, we have game representation. Uh, so how accurately were the games represented in this film? I gave this a 2.5. I'm I'm going to probably give it a 1. Ooh. Ooh, yeah. And Nick? I would say probably a 2.0, 1.5. It's it's low. There's a lot of... Okay, I don't think it's that low. Because while there are some glaring errors, there are also many times that they are correct. Well, I mean, it's just the... If you compare what's being shown on the screens versus what they're talking about, it rarely coagulates. Like, they're almost always... 90% of all the games, you only see the very first level or two. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's not until late in the game we actually get a couple shots of, like, Ninja Gaiden in levels, like, four. I, w- I was really impressed. I was like, whoa, they, they made it somewhere. All right, fair But enough. it really seems to me like somebody just sat down with each game for, like, 20 minutes, mm-hmm. recorded it, and then they just chopped it up. And, uh, well, in my opinion, the representation of, of games being played, I think, was just, I mean, it's just not like that in real life. That's when true. You thrash your arms around, oh, and yeah. both thumbs are Although, clicking no, up and down the, the, the whole him time. Him moving his arms in the controller, I, I saw that a lot in person. The, well, that's a, because, that's a parent's thing when you yeah you try <laughs> to move with the game. But That is exactly what I was going to say. That is an, uh, a parent's always like when they jump, they jerk it into the air. Like the Wii won't be out for 20 years, guys. I know. Next up is the challenge to watch factor. And I gave this uh, 2.0. Because I did not think it was that hard to watch. I'd probably go 2.5. Like, it, it's kind of boring at parts, but there's cheesy comedy. Like, really, the part that sticks the most is just the kind of unnecessary heaviness and family drama mm-hmm. that the movie doesn't need that kind of stakes, really. Like, it's, yeah. I just want to see Mario 3. Come on. Yeah, yeah. Abby? Well, I I think I'd give it a 1. Oh. Sounds I mean, like it. Yeah. No, I, I would. I mean... Nothing really happens in this, and and the things that are supposed to be funny, um, as indicated by the wacky music that's going on in the background, those things are not funny. Like, um, I don't know, like car crashes, and and getting beat up and chased and Mm. robbed. If it wasn't sandwiched between depression, it wouldn't be so bad. You know, I don't know. Let's get to our next uh, category because I think I know what you're going to score it. And our final uh, category is theme and fun. Well, I think we, we'll get your official score, Abby, but we realize you, I don't think you had a lot of fun with it. But I actually gave it a, a 3.0. I thought that it did kind of veer from fun to serious in a lot of very strange ways. But I, I was impressed with how mature the, the heaviness was. It wasn't done in like a goofy way. Um, mm-hmm. It was handled quite well. And there was enough uh, just road adventure for me to stay on board with this film. I would probably go 2.5. It's all right. It's if if they would have simplified the family drama uh-huh. and focused more on like gambling with strange kids for for with video games and stuff. Like I like that. Like I want that world to be real. Yeah. And I like truckers and stuff because a lot of my family are truckers. So yeah. you know this movie in a lot of ways really hit me where it counts. But it's also as an adult, like I kept thinking while we were watching this, I was like, this movie does not need to be two hours long. And it isn't. It's like 90 minutes, but it felt that way. So it kind of drags. Theme and fun? Yeah. What theme and fun? Oh. 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 Um, there, there's definitely a theme of family. Yeah, there is a theme of broken family. True, true. 
and children broken by tragedies yeah, yeah. In, involving their families. And sometimes adults or teenagers. True. There's, I think there's more bad people in this movie than there are good people. Yeah, especially because Spanky is really the only good one. Yeah, Spanky's the good one. Um, for me, the most enjoyable thing about this movie was honestly all of the, um, I guess now we'd call it retro fashion gotcha. and mm, music yeah. and things yeah, like there's, that. I mean, there's a lot of good to look at there. Yeah, that was really the only stuff that was that was enjoyable for me. Like all of the, um, like the mom has that dress with like a huge white mm-hmm. collar, <laughs> like almost up to her chin. And then Haley's got some wicked outfits too, like. She's wearing like stonewashed overalls with a belt, bottoms rolled up. She's wearing a a, a floral button up shirt. Yes. And at um, one shirt point, she has a a ringer shirt where the collar in each sleeve is a different color ringer. Oh, that's awesome! It was pretty cool. But she always has on boots with white socks rolled down at the top. Well, that she is a tough mama jamma. Well, and uh, because I think I know the answer, I'm going to start with you then again, Abby, and ask you, like I ask every week, that we watch a movie. Should you watch this movie? I think you should watch this movie. Oh, really? I, oh. I do. I do think it. Uh, like I said, it, it was required viewing for for kids when it uh-huh. came out. So I well, think I think it should just continue oddly to enough, be required viewing. I'm on the fence. Maybe. If you watched this as a kid and had some... Uh, you know, love for it then, or it was part of your life, then it's definitely worth going back to. But I think as a fresh adult that's never seen this, I don't think there's really going to be much there for you to enjoy. Yeah, I, I agree with Eric. I, I'm also on the fence. Like, nostalgically, it's worth a, a go, but if you haven't seen it yet, then it, I, don't, I don't know if there's a lot there for you. I would, I would recommend, um, not that I've watched it with this, but if you are an adult watching this for the first time, maybe watch it with the riff tracks. Okay. Yeah, watch it with roof oh. tracks. I bet that's better. Do they have one? Yeah. For what? I didn't know that. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Or an alcoholic beverage. <laughs> Either way, I think you'll be all right. Cartridge Commandos, stay tuned because uh, we haven't talked about it much, but I think we might be adding another show to the Cartridge Command family. Yeah. And Abby will be a big part of that show because, well... She and Nick are the RPG aficionados that need to lead me through the wild lands. And we'll just put a pin on that one and come back to it in a few weeks. But next week, we will be playing Super Mario Brothers 3 for the Nintendo Entertainment System. So find a copy of this game any way you can, friends. Grab your controllers and play along. And remember, folks, if you think you're good enough to get the video Armageddon, let us know at cartridgecommand at gmail.com, and we'll talk about it in the future. Yeah, we didn't really talk about the fact that Nintendo did have their video Armageddon substitute, which was Nintendo Power Fest. Yeah, yeah. So if any of you ranked in Nintendo Power Fest, tell us about that as well. We'd love to hear from you at our email on the Facebook at Cartridge Command. We always let you know when new shows come out on Twitter at Cart Command. And, of course, the way this show works is that it is made possible by the wonderful and amazing folks that give to us at patreon.com slash cartridge command. Because it is uh, the fine dollars they have swindled from other people at arcades that they've <laughs> given to us that make this show possible. I love the patrons. They're so bad. So, thank you. Thank you guys all so very much. And, as always, cartridge commandos... Game on! Game on.
Casey. Sweatbox.